Hello, and welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And today I'm delighted to be sitting down with Janet Philbin. She's a licensed clinical social worker and a certified hypnotherapist. She's also a certified clinical trauma therapist and a conscious parenting coach. In fact, that's how I knew of Janet's work because she was my ambassador for my small group when I was in Dr. Shafali Sapari's Conscious Parenting Institute. So I knew of Janet. I didn't know her well. I knew that she had written a book, which I had bought, called Show Up for Yourself. And I just knew her to be a very seasoned clinical practitioner who was committed to a lot of the same principles that I live by and have really made it into my coaching So I knew Janet would have a lot of wisdom to share. The conversation is inspirational, it's funny, and I loved every minute of it. So I hope you enjoy, and we'll see you in the episode. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. Today, I'm here with Janet Philbin, and I'm very excited to be sitting with you, Janet. Um, for our listeners, well, Janet came upon you know my scene when I did Dr. Shafali Sabari's Conscious Parenting Institute. And Janet, I think that you were actually, actually my ambassador, but it was such a big cohort that there weren't a lot of touch points. But yeah. you you kind of came in my sphere and I started taking notice and sort of being interested in your work. Um, I remember several of my co-students, you know, eventually working with you privately, um, whether therapeutically or, or, or therapeutically um, with hypnosis as well. So mm-hmm. I was always intrigued by that. And I welcome you here today. Um, I think that, you know, we can have a a conversation about a lot of points of your work um, and just how you came to be where you sit today. And I'll start right there um, with a welcome in. Did you, I, I noticed in rereading your book today that you kind of adopted the therapeutic world early. You have been a therapist for so many years. A long time. Yep. Yep. Since uh, I was one of those people that went right from undergraduate school to graduate school. But I never had the dream of being a therapist in private practice. Mm, Okay. Um, And I actually remember being at NYU in like, you know, those orientation days you have to go to before classes actually start and sitting in a room with the other first year social work students And these young women who were all my age, we were all in our early 20s saying, oh, yeah, when I graduate in two years, I'm going to open up a private practice right here in New York City. And I remember thinking, 
but you don't know anything mm-hmm. and you're not going to know anything in two years. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, I didn't think it was okay. That was never my goal. I always wanted to work in agency life. I loved geriatrics. Um, I wanted to work with uh, cute little old people. That was my goal. Um, So when I began my career, I began actually the job I got was in a New York City hospital, which was an amazing, an amazing learning opportunity. I was doing work I never wanted to do because it wasn't clinical work. It was very concrete work. It was discharge planning and that kind of services, but I learned a lot. And I wound up working with AIDS patients. In the end, I wound up the social worker on the AIDS team. And in 1992, that was a big deal because it was the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And I loved it. I loved that work. I loved that that role I had there. But then I left and uh, went into geriatrics and wound up being able to get a job closer to home at a fairly new long-term care facility. And I did that for six or eight years. And I loved that also. But then I had my second child and it just didn't pay to keep working how I was working, pay for daycare and and raise two children. So an opportunity on my lap to start a private practice. And I said, okay, I'll do it. What a beautiful um, kind of trajectory you had with your experiences. And I can I can see that being hugely beneficial because you've got that wide landscape when you first started working in the hospital systems. And then um, it reminds me of my sister-in-law and I hope she's going to listen to this one. She's also a social worker and that's how it happens sometimes, right? It's sort of like a little bit by default, you kind of, it's before we get to maybe, maybe I'm projecting, but like a lot of intentional choice. It's like what falls in our lap at first. And then, and it, and I always like to think about how those experiences, even those seemingly kind of disparate in ways, they do feed into who you became and the work that you've done. A hundred percent. I live by this little Ziggy quote that I actually have pinned on my bulletin board behind my computer. And I don't even know, it had to be the early 2000s when I cut it out of the local newspaper and it says opportunity only knocks on doors that it knows are already open to it. Mm. And I live by this mantra because when an opportunity comes my way, especially an opportunity I'm not looking for, I just say yes. So when the opportunity came my way to start my private practice, I didn't have a client. And (laughs) She needed this therapist needed help with something. And I said, well, I can just help you with that. Don't be silly. You need help. She goes, oh, no, no, I can't let you help me for nothing. Use my office one day a week. I said, I don't have a client. She goes, I'll get you your first client. And she did. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. But if I would have said no to her, I certainly wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now because I was ready to walk away from social work and just take any job that could contribute to my family that would Mm -hmm. work in the hours that I needed it to. And that opened up one opportunity to the next, to the next, to the next. So that's what I tell people say yes. Uh, And if you don't like it, okay, Mm -hmm. close the door after you gave it a shot. But what if going through that one door opens up the next six? Absolutely. I love it. There was a, a quote that I like too. It says, 
if the door doesn't open, it's not your door. So mm-hmm. we're kind of like watching. I know you're a big fan of uh, uh, the principles of the universe and just these bigger spiritual concepts embedded. I think your point though, I want to point out because, you know, my colleagues are coaches starting in the business. You know, we've been working in it for a few years now, but in the beginning, it can be so quiet. So how do you, how would you tell someone to have trust, even if they were at these beginning stages? You have to be patient. Literally that first client I had paid me $25 a week for eight months. Mm -hmm. It was eight months till I got my second client. And then I don't even know how many months after that till I got the third. And it just built slowly. So you really just have to be patient. People have to get to know you. You have to network. You have to market and put yourself out there and maybe offer your services at a lower cost to get started. And you do what you need to do if this is what you're meant to do, what you feel you've been meant to do, what you've put so much energy into. You've followed it for a reason. So I would encourage people if financially, if it's possible, even though it's hard to stick with it. Okay. I love that (laughs) because you're right. There was, there was a calling from within Mm -hmm. that got you to the place to see if this was going to work. And I, uh, the patience is, is perfect uh, advice. I think I, it reminds me of in the beginning of your book. So I'll name it right now. If you're watching on YouTube, because I put these on YouTube show up for yourself is Janet's book that was published in 2020. But um, you, I like in the beginning how you talk about how you were watching your kids when they got to be young adults, kind of like into their adult life. And they were all these um, big questions were coming to them. And, you know, you're witnessing it from a different perspective as their mother with more, you know, years under your belt, but that you, it gave you a witnesser perspective where, you could see that it was their work to do and that you could not do that for them. And then just weaving in like with that concept, this, your book title show up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and just like how it came to be? Yeah, no, that's such a fun question. Um, Actually it had to do with my middle child who was still in college at the time. It was the book came out three weeks into the pandemic. So this occurrence where I uh, came up with the title of the book. So the pandemic started late March, early April. This was probably December-ish. And I forget what year um, college they were in, maybe junior year. And, you know, you have to start to figure things out and things were a struggle and classes might've been hard and confusing things about your major or reaching out to advisors. And that part of me wanted to rescue this child of mine. I had already been um I already graduated from the coaching institute so I I knew what was happening like my rescuer wanted to come in and swoop and save the day and give this child all the answers to solve the problems for this child of mine and I had to take a step back 
and I spoke to my husband. I was just thinking out loud. And I'm like, if I don't let him show up for himself and figure it out, it's not going to stick. It won't have any meaning. So I can't. And then I said a little later that morning, I was thinking and I was like, oh, my God, that's the perfect title for the book. Show up for yourself, Mm -hmm. because if you don't do it for you, no one else can do it for you. So how is it we can learn to show up for ourselves? Really make yourself a priority. Really look at what's holding you back Mm -hmm. and be brave enough to face it, move through it, and find yourself on the other side. So the book title was inspired by this struggle my middle child was going through at the time being in college and kind of being in a transition point Mm -hmm. of life yeah and so it's like you're serving on the silver platter a little bit even though it might not feel like to our child here show up for yourself and at the same time learning those lessons that need to be healed for yourself of okay taking a look at the rescuer and maybe how that operated or over operated in your life Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because I still had to show up for me. I still had to be authentic for me. But in order to do that, you have to look at your own shadow, mm-hmm. right? You have to look at your own demons and face them too. So as a parent, a spouse, a friend, like, what is that advice you're giving other people? Why are you giving it? Yeah. Is that coming from a place of wholeness within you? Or is it coming from a place of, I need to fix you or help you fix you, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to do my own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that winds up very troubled when yes. it's from that place of, I'm not finished with my work, but I'm going to act and tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so true. And, um, you know, do you, you know, when you work on your framework with your clients, I'm wondering too, I'm thinking about your book. I really mm-hmm. liked the beginning chapters, Janet, how you said um, who is showing up. And um, I think you said what is showing up. And mm-hmm. even to, um, I'm going to say right now too, for our listeners today, I was just saying to you before we hit record that I have many bookshelves with many books on them. And truly, I believe, I know that people use the word roadmap a lot, but I like your book because it breaks down these categories because I often think, you know, my podcast is newer. It's about three months young and um, have a lot of people talking about a lot of things. And what I'm kind of leaning into a little more is like, yeah, that's such a cool concept, but how do we do that? And that's why I like the, the beginning premise before you go into other things of, who is showing up? You kind of just alluded to it and what is showing up in my life. Can you talk about those just like beginning concepts? Well, I I think we do need to understand who is showing up in the moment in each and every situation. But the only way we can do that is to be in touch with ourselves, right? So is this my adult self showing up? Or is it my 10-year-old self showing up having a tantrum here? Mm -hmm. Or my 15-year-old self being difficult and argumentative because she can be? Um, Or a two-year-old having a temper tantrum? So we have to know our energy 
that we're bringing into every situation, we have to understand where that's coming from. But again, so many people walk around. Disillusioned is the word that's coming to me, but I'm not exactly sure that's the right word, Maureen. I think disconnected Mm -hmm. is a better word because people just go through the motions and they don't stop to tune in. They don't stop to feel the sensations that rise up in their body when I get upset because dot, 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 right? Mm -hmm. They're just, I'm upset and they react. So we have to first know ourselves. Who is showing up here? Mm-hmm. Right? Who is it? And be honest about it. All right, my 10-year-old's having a tantrum. I'm, I'm going to just be real about that right now. I'm, then I'm going to take care of that part of me. And then maybe my adult self can show up. So I think who is showing up comes under the category of getting to know yourself mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And then finding a way to take care of that part of yourself. Cause we all are made up of a million different parts and different parts of us come into the foreground mm-hmm. into the executive part of us to be in charge in that moment, because they think they know what to do because it's familiar from some time in the past. Yeah. Or maybe they do know what they do or maybe the way they did it in the past is just not really going to be effective right now. Right. <laughs> it's usually. I, yeah. And I think that, if I can speak for myself is that, um, I don't know. I knew that I didn't feel good inside, but I had done certain, you know, types of therapy and they'd certainly helped me reconcile parts of me and kind of put some things down. But then I don't know if I was really doing what was, could be considered like more active work, like you're saying, on getting to know those parts of me. And so I think for a long time, it felt like I was kind of deep down in a well, and I would feel all these ways, like the word that just came to me when you were talking was turmoil, Mm. possibly chaos inside. Um, Definitely overwhelm because I had three young kids for a long time. It takes them a while to grow up. And, um, just these words. And so, and then that they, they, they created other situations inside myself or, or ways of being that felt like resentful and, and things, but I didn't for many, many, many years, I didn't know the way out. I didn't know. I didn't know. And, and, and so I was just swirling in that place for a long time. So I was going to, I guess my comment is like, sometimes do you see people, not that they accept it, but they just don't know how. I think it's a both and like they don't even know they've accepted it. It's just the way I am. And since it's the way I am, I can't change it. So I don't even have to look at how until people get become uncomfortable with what was always comfortable. They don't move towards change. Right, because we're so comfortable with maybe the dysfunctional way something's worked, because it's worked. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you start realizing 
I'm, I'm not that comfortable with the way I've been doing that. I'm not that comfortable in this relationship anymore. I'm not that comfortable in this job anymore. I'm not that comfortable with the way my boss talks to me or my co- colleagues treat me. And then you start having this, these parts of you start kind of warring. So we're forced to move through discomfort to find a new way to become comfortable again. There's, it's a, it's a, it's a psychological process. It actually has a term. It, it's going from something that's ego syntonic to ego dystonic. So we, we have to move. And when people can do that shift, that's when change happens. That's when healing happens. Which brings me to my other favorite quote, which I do quote in the book. Um, by Anise Nin, which is, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was greater than the risk it took to blossom. Mm. And that's the movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you offer in the book that, that premise of sometimes we, well, maybe all the time, the way you're, I had a my listeners know this, but I had a diagnosis. Like I've heard Dr. Shafali talk about that. Like sometimes it is just the regular course of life and what you're talking about, like that discomfort grows so much, but, um, and then others have these big things that are the awakeners or the offering as an awakener, I should say. But, um, yeah, I think you had said in your book, what if, um, what if by healing the pain, it could get you closer to your purpose? And it's like that the only way out is through as well, kind of seems fitting. Yes. You have to go through. I was saying that to my clients from the beginning of my practice. There's no over, under, around. We have to go through. So it's like you got to go into that dark tunnel. And, you know, when you enter a tunnel, there's some light, but the deeper and deeper and deeper you go, gets darker and darker and scarier and scarier. And you think, I am just never getting out of here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the light, you could start seeing the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. and the light starts shining. And then you know where to walk and you will emerge on the other side. I never pretend the journey is easy. The journey is usually full of pain. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you need support to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about people who have a lot of trauma. And, and, um, I know trauma is like, there's, there's variances of what people walk in with, but I can understand, like, I can see that sometimes that would feel so big that, and you don't know what's on the other side of opening the door. So it often, I was thinking about that before we met, like, do you see people sometimes not, not able to go there in this lifetime, just because of some, maybe, I don't know if that would be a subconscious fear or operating system, that that's just going to be so, so much for me to deal with. Because, you know, people are attached to their belief systems, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they make justifications for all, all things in all areas of their life. I was talking with a client recently who, you know, was talking about her relationship and she says, Well, if that person doesn't ask me questions and doesn't show that I'm not, they're not interested in me, does that mean I'm not good enough? But meanwhile, this person has stayed in this 
relationship for more than 20 years. Always searching to be good enough. And guess what? I mean, you know, as a coach, the pattern has repeated Mm -hmm. through the generations now. Yeah. I've been working with this person for about eight months and just regular counseling, talking, inside oriented counseling. And after eight months, she finally said that. I saw it from the beginning, but you can't force someone to see something they're not ready to see. Yeah. And it came out organically, finally. Mm. I wanted a party on my side of the screen, but I didn't. I said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there and there's that patience again, right? I'm sure that for your yourself in the process and for them too. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I wanted you to talk about because it's alluded to within different podcasts I've done, but I know that the inner child is um, a cornerstone foundation of the work you do. Can you share what you define the inner child as? And I I heard you earlier say your 15 year old self, your 10 year old self. So can you kind of go into that? And I, and then um, we'll go from there. (laughs) Sure. I would love to. So the inner, we all have an inner child, every single one of us, because we were all children once. And so those children we once were live within us, right? If I ask someone, you know, pick a memory from when you were 10, something is going to pop up. Pick a memory from when you were 15. Pick a memory from when you were seven. Something will quickly hit you, uh, random. But when we've been through the struggles in our life, and not everyone has had trauma. Some people have little tiny T traumas, repeated traumas, one big trauma. There's generational trauma. There's all sorts of trauma. But in order to survive upsetting things when we're young, we develop different parts of ourselves, different defense mechanisms in order to cope to survive. And we develop different parts of our personalities to survive those things. So the way I look at it, the way I like to explain inner child is I believe when we're born, A, I believe we choose to come into this manifestation of our life and that we come, it's a co-creation of choosing with our parents that we're going to come at this time for whatever reason. And we've chosen to come because we have our own special gifts that are needed in that family of origin that are being called to that family of origin. So here we come through our parents right into this family of origin that guess what is already wounded in some way, shape or form. There's already wounding there. And we come with our light and we come with our fullness and we come with all of our gifts of love and good enough and giving and compassion. And then we're told in some way, shape or form, verbally, non-verbally, that we're too much, that don't ask for what you need, or it's dangerous here, so you need to hide, Um, and on and on and on. So as we learn these things, we realize, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not important enough. I better be quiet or I'm going to get hit. I better be a good girl 
because that's the only way mommy's going to love me. I better get straight A's because that's the only way daddy's going to be proud of me. And I realize I'm using very gender stereotypical pronouns and things. So uh, please know that this is not uh, gender specific. It's, it's just, I'm just trying to make a point. So through these life experiences, we actually develop a wounded inner child. Right. So the true self, that perfect, beautiful, pure inner child that came from source is here in every single one of our hearts. Yeah. He or she has not disappeared. They are just being defended. So we have all these defenders in the wounded inner child going, I got this one. I know how to do with that. I know how to do that. So now we're 30 and we have a five-year-old and the five-year-old is having a temper tantrum, but you weren't allowed to have a temper tantrum when you were five, or maybe you were going to get hit. Maybe you're going to get put in your room. Maybe you were going to get put in the corner, ignored, not fed dinner, whatever. So you freak out as an adult screaming at your five-year-old because you are not allowed to have a tantrum. Yeah. Mm-mm. Right. No so that wounded inner child, when we ask who is showing up, is the one that's showing up is the one having the tantrum in an adult body mm-hmm. with the tantruming five-year-old in front of you. Nothing gets accomplished. So until we go, and this is why I love hypnotherapy, and this is why I love conscious parenting, mm-hmm. because we want to deconstruct the patterns. We want to understand what happened in the past. We want to go back and heal that wounded inner child yeah. so he or she can become whole again with a W hole, mm-hmm. bring them back into our very own hearts and feel complete. So now when your five-year-old in front of you has a temper tantrum, you can go, okay, it's, it's just a tantrum. It's all okay. He or she is allowed to do that. I'm still whole, as opposed to having holes, H-O-L-E-S's, where all this stuff seeps and pours out. So with hypnosis, um, and I'll just segue into that if you don't mind, because I think it's important here. Mm-hmm. The unconscious mind has no sense of time at all. So when something happens in the moment in front of you, and it is similar enough to an emotion, a feeling, an event that happened at some point in the past, the present adult self gets hijacked. That younger self comes forward into the executive functioning and is in charge because it doesn't know it's no longer five, seven, 10, 15. It learned a coping skill at a certain age. It became wounded. It became defended. And it goes, I know this. I know the coping skill. Here I am. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So in hypnosis, the way I work, not every hypnotherapist works the way I work or the way I train my hypnotherapists to work. We go back in time and we find that wounded inner child and we rescue them. And we work with the cellular memory of the body because the way to heal trauma is to get it out of the cells. That's been studied and proven by Peter Levine, Bessel van der Kolk, Gabor Maté. Mm -hmm. Right. We got to get it out of the cells of the body. And we heal and work with that inner child and let them know the truth. And it's a whole process, but in the end, they can become whole again. 
and you, the adult, can now be in charge as opposed to this wounded part. Yeah. So um, that's why the inner child is important. That's why the inner child can't be ignored. I think everyone needs to be doing inner child work and heal those original wounds because they are impacting us as much work as I've done. And I've been working on myself for more than 30 years. I've done so much inner child work through regular therapy, hypnotherapy, coaching, you name it. Still, bam, I get triggered and I got to look who's showing up. What do I need? I know how to do this for myself now, but what do I need to do for myself? Yes. And And everyone needs to do. Well, I'll just say about all that. Thank you for that beautiful explanation. I think it's perfect because no matter where the listener is on the journey, there's something in there for them, but especially for um, a newer listener to these sorts of messages. I know that, you know, you and I can say like, oh, this is all over the place, but you know, it's just, I feel like inner child is just beginning to be known a little bit more and Mm -hmm. understood by bigger groups. But um, just this idea of you think you're operating, but it's, it's a part of you. It's a, a piece of your history coming forth, but it's not necessarily your authentic self. And, and I'm thinking about all the misidentification of who we truly are. And I, I think it's just the beautiful premise too, of, um, that I love how you went back and talked about how we came to be, that we made this choice that we're here. And I've never heard it uh, said the way you just said it about, we have certain gifts to offer our family of origin. That's really pretty. I, and, and profound. Um, I've not heard it said that way before, but just the, this idea of there are these parts of us that are unhealed and um, I'm, I've never done hypnosis, so I don't even know a lot about that process. I understand what you just said, but how do you even, what is, what is hypnosis doing that it brings us into another, I I'm going to say brain operating state that allows us to be, you know, ready to do the work you do. Yeah. So hypnosis is just an altered state of consciousness, just like, you know, if you go into meditation or, you know, if you've ever driven somewhere and all of a sudden you're at your destination, like, oh my God, I don't remember the drive. That's an altered state. That's a hypnotic state. When you're reading a book and someone's talking to you, you don't hear them. Mm -hmm. When that's all altered state, that's all hypnosis and all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So it's something that we do for ourselves. No one can force you to be hypnotized if you don't want to be hypnotized because no one is stronger than your mind than you are. Mm -hmm. But in hypnosis, if, and I know some of your listeners are watching, some are listening, but I'm going to hold my hands up, my fists up over each other. Um, And in hypnosis, we ask the conscious mind, the fist on top to move over. We give it something to think about. And so it moves off to the side. And when that conscious mind is off to the side, the hypnotherapist can talk directly to the unconscious. Mm -hmm. The conscious mind protects it. And it wants to control everything. You could think of it like ego and conscious parenting. We got to get it out of the way. So I can talk to the unconscious because the unconscious stores all of the memories. Mm-hmm. everything we've ever had in our life. And I explained that in our, in the book, it's like a file in your computer. And if you want to find pictures of your dog, you have to type in dog. Mm-hmm. But if you want to find pictures of your dog and you type in the word cat, you're not going to find those files. 
So the hypnotherapist is going to be skilled to know what are the key words to get to the right file, to find the right memory, to work on related to this particular problem. And so it sounds like it's almost when you, when you can get in there to that, that file that needs to be opened at that time, that then there's the opportunity to do some reprogramming of the experience. Yeah. You're healing. The way I view it is we're healing the experience. Mm-hmm. We're healing that wounded part. We're reframing it. We're putting the truth in. We're letting that child know they survived because they develop those coping skills in service of survival. The problem is, like I said, the unconscious mind doesn't know any sense of time. So guess what? That seven-year-old is still in survival mode 40 years later. It doesn't know it's over. Mm. So we have to tell them it's over. It's done. You survived and you did great, but you don't need that coping skill in that way anymore. Cause guess what? It's hurting the adult self. Yeah. So let's do something with that. Let's mm. heal that. And they always agree. They, who the hell wants to be in pain? Excuse the French. They always agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, such a beautiful process. Um, I'm thinking what a gift that that gives your client, ourselves, who sit in that chair, to be able to have the experience that we never happened or that we never had, but always deserved. Right. And um, so that is very feels emotional to me. And it also does have the tie into the conscious parenting because with conscious parenting, we are working with individuals to create these experiences um, for their own families. And then we know that work. I always think like uh, whenever we talk about any of these things and we use the word parenting, it can be applied to the, the, the um, principles can be applied to, to everyone. Yes. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So I love that when you use, I just, this is like more of a technical question, but about our consciousness, but are the words subconscious and unconscious intertwinable, or do you see them as different? They're, they're really interchangeable when we're talking about hypnosis. I mean, the, the subconscious might be more closer to consciousness, mm-hmm. but it's still really not fully aware of what's going on in the present the unconscious could be a layer deeper yeah. where it's not at all in touch with what's going on in the present in, in awareness, but they also, some, you can hear them used interchangeably too. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. If, if the, if someone is beginning to become aware, even through our talk today about, okay, I see my pattern and that sure seems like my nine-year-old self. and they begin to become aware. I know the book has um, written down exercises that people choose, which reminds me of one other question I want to ask before we leave today. But what would you say would be a beginning question to greet whatever comes to you? Like if you're beginning to say like, gee, that is a, that is a younger part of myself. What would be a beginning thing? Someone, how we could then, um, be with ourselves, I guess. Well, first I would encourage people to tune into their physical body and where do they experience that younger self? Is it in your heart, your throat, your stomach, you know, your back and really just first tune into that experience and see what the body has to tell you. I would 
pick up a pen. I would get a paper. I would close your eyes and I would just journal whatever's coming up. And it might seem ridiculous. How could I be thinking this? Where are these thoughts coming from? It doesn't matter. Just let it out. Write with your eyes closed. Your paper will be messy. Write without paper without lines. Don't worry about punctuation or spelling and just let it out. You have to let it out. It's there because you've held it so many years. Journaling helps you begin to let it out. Then when you can understand what's in there more, you can begin to work with that younger self and journal to it and have a conversation with it. And what do you need to feel better? And probably get support from a coach or a therapist or a hypnotherapist to help you. It's hard to do on your own, not impossible, but it's hard because we're not objective about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the share, the sharing that you can do and just to be witnessed for what you've ex- experienced. I like, um, cause I know that you have chapters on meditation and journaling as well. So mm-hmm. you kind of just spoke to that, the importance or I guess not the importance, but like how journaling can be so beneficial. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying about just the expression. Like let's, let's find beginning ways to move it from our mind, our body and and begin to process it in a new way. And you know, what has meditation meant for you in your life? And I know that sometimes the meditation concept can seem like a, it's like this concrete thing between, or like I was going to say between, you know, you either meditate or you don't. And it seems like there's a big divide, but that's, that's not the case. That's not truth. No, because a meditation can be as simple as I'm going to focus on my breath right now. That's a meditation. You're washing the dishes. You're in the shower. You're on a walk. You don't have to lie down and be still and not move and clear your mind. It's almost impossible to clear your mind. In fact, I would expect people not to be able to clear their mind. And we're going to have these thoughts. Dr. Shafali calls it monkey mind. You know, you'll see that where you're meditating, maybe you're listening to a guided meditation or beautiful music and all of a sudden, oh my God, I forgot to put the laundry in the dryer. I have to pick up Jimmy at school at three. I need to buy snacks for soccer. And and people get angry at themselves or frustrated. And they're like, oh, I can't meditate. This isn't working. Look at all these thoughts. What I like people to do is say, okay, thank you. Talk to the thought. Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to come back to you later and come back to your breath. Come back to the meditation. Come back. Oh, another thought. Thank you very much. Come back. Our brains are always working. The neurotransmitters are always transmitting information. The minute we begin to let our guard down in relaxation, the ego is going to perk up and go, oh, no, no, no. Remember this. Remember that. So acknowledge it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Thank you very much. Got it. Got it. I'm going to do this again now. Oh, thanks again. And I'm like, I do that. I still, to this day, I've been meditating 25 years. I still do this to this day. It doesn't matter. Those intervening thoughts are going to show up. I allow them, accept them and be there and be in the meditation for yourself, whatever your meditation is. There's yeah. no right or wrong way to meditate. I don't believe there is because everyone's different. So something different works for everybody. And I think that that goes to um, that every day is different. I, you know, sometimes I can settle in and, and mm-hmm. be in that space. I turned on a meditation when I woke up early today. I, I pretty much then 
pulled something else to do. And I wasn't in the place that I, you know, wanted to meditate, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I think the, the, I love how you're saying inner dialogue too, because that's something I've learned through my programs and the work I do now is just this idea of the inner dialogues with ourselves and how we can transform the way we speak to ourselves and be with ourselves. And, um, when you were talking about that, like just that example of when you're doing the dishes, I thought of the question, like, well, what do you think, you know, like to yourself, because we're always, I think I was always conditioned to be like, well, what did they think? What did the outer think? What are the, but it's like, well, what do I think? And start that, even if it's the breath during a simple daily task, Mm -hmm. it gets you closer to your authenticity that you talked about earlier. So it's beautiful and it doesn't have to look any certain way. Um, I thank you so much for being here today with me, Janet. It's been a great conversation. And when the listeners go to look for you, where can they find you? The best way for people to find me is my website. Hypnote. No, that's not my website. It used to be. My website now is my name, janetphilbin.com. And all my social media links are there, links to my books, links to book a complimentary consultation and um, anything else, probably more than people want to know is there. I love that. I love when there's just so many resources and, you know, after you've been in practice, as long as you have, that is, I mean, all of your knowledge and wisdom is coming through. So um, yeah, I'll just say again, that the book will be on your website and I'll put everything in the show notes, but beautiful book um, show up for yourself. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, not a long long read. So I, I just, it's almost something you could put in your, I know you say on the East coast, your pocketbook, we say purse here in the Midwest, um, pick up a copy of the book and, um, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Maureen. I loved our conversation. Yeah. So to our listeners, thanks for being here and we'll see you next time on mystical sisterhood. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit MaureenSpielman.com or MysticalSisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.